Hello, I'm Joshua Vickery. And I'm Mary Thompson Hunt. Welcome to From the Heart. Central Florida is widely known for its tourist spots and attractions, but many people don't know about its thriving arts community. On this show, we are excited to introduce to you talented and passionate artists who shape our arts community. How do they create and why? And how can Central Florida benefit from an even greater arts presence? On each episode, we'll introduce you to guests who are influential leaders and artists who are truly making a difference. From the Heart. Hello, Mary. Hi, Joshua. <laughs> Hi. How are you, my friend? Well, I'm happy to see you. It's I know. been a while. It has. It's been a couple of weeks mm-hmm. uh, because of all the, just the craziness in our community. We have not been able to record a show. So it is so fantastic to be back in the studio with you. Thank goodness. How did you fare during the storm? You know, we did okay. We lost power for several days, like most people, but I, I live in a condo, so no major damage. And mm-hmm. then uh, most of our campuses where we perform and where our main campus downtown fared pretty well. We had a little bit of damage and a lot of cleanup, but it could have been much worse. I saw so the very... before and after the cleanup. I really wanted to come, and then at the last minute, I could not. Well, it was on Wednesday we, that we did the cleanup, you know, just really 24 hours after everything, and we thought, okay, if we have a few people that can come and help us. So we had 40 volunteers That's show beautiful. up in the midst of everything that everybody was going through mm-hmm. to help us put the campus back together. So it really was, it was so encouraging to us for, for sure. How about you? Uh, we did well. We lost electricity for two days, yeah. uh, but it was kind of something a little bit rustic and romantic about it. We had little lanterns that it we forced you to talk to each other, right? Yes, I forgot <laughs> what that was like. We didn't have to have headphones on or anything. You're like, oh, this is the art of conversation. <laughs> this is what it really is like when you <laughs> are stuck in a house for 48 hours with someone. And the, we didn't I, have Tom there to say cut. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> I tell you, I was really thankful for the for the curfew, but it also, I was getting really stir crazy because you know me, I'm just not the kind of person that can sit around and do nothing yes. for two days. Even when I'm on vacation, I'm doing something like I have to always be going. So to just sit and have no power and no do nothing. No power, so you couldn't get online and do couldn't your get work. Online, mm-hmm. I couldn't communicate, and it was just it was very interesting. So, but it was a good reminder of, I, I think probably a bad reminder actually of how. Uh, reliant we are on technology and mm-hmm. electricity and all of that. And we kept saying to each other when there was something we were disappointed in, first world problem. Yeah. For, and it would just put things in perspective yeah. that there are a lot of people that live the way we live without thinking that we're mm. without. Mm. And then we'd go back to, well, we're, we have our health, we have each other, we have a roof, maybe no light, no AC, but first world problem. Uh, well, we, we actually, in choir rehearsal on Monday night, we are doing a song that David Foster wrote uh, called Thankful. Mm. And it's all about being thankful for what you have. And we didn't, it was on the schedule to learn last Monday night. Wow. And it just happened to be, so we had, you know, 300 singers rehearsing a song about thankfulness. And it gave us all a great point to say, hey, let's just stop and be thankful and be grateful for what we do have. And that we, that we did not fare any worse than we did, but we do just want to take a moment and pause and say to all those that were affected by Irma and then for all of our friends and family and and loved ones of artists that are in Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just a few days, uh, they've already said that there's no power anywhere on the entire island. And I will tell you this. I just came from a CVS where the teller was in tears talking to me because I asked him, well, how's your family? He mm-hmm. said they're all in Puerto, Puerto Rico. He said, I have no idea. We can't get any, we can't yeah. get contact with them. We know they have no electricity. I don't know if any of my family, his grandmother, his aunts, his cousins, everyone's there. And boy, I felt for him. I held his hand and I just said, I'll be thinking of you. And so for those of you out there who can send good thoughts or prayers, please do because they really need it. Yeah. I just was talking to our good friend, Luis Martinez from the city of Orlando. We had a meeting this afternoon and he 
texted me and said, I haven't even heard if my dad is okay or my family is okay. And I just can't, I can't focus on anything right now. So I think people are, are still reeling and, and hurting, not just from what happened here in Florida and of course in Texas and Mexico, just a lot right now. It's heavy. And we're thankful that we have the arts to be an outlet and a respite mm-hmm. from some of that and a distraction from mm-hmm. some of the things that are going on. And I think we probably should just give a really shout out to all of our arts organizations that um, have really rallied around each other and support each other during this time. We know that shows got canceled and there, you know, there was a loss of revenue, mm-hmm. a real loss of revenue for, mm-hmm. for many arts organizations. I know that Mano La Mancha and Jesus Christ Superstar and Newsies all opened the weekend of the hurricane. And yes. so that's a real impact. And right. so please go out and support uh, the arts over the next few weeks and let's catch up yes. from the damage that was done. Even if you do one thing, that would yeah. be great. Yeah. And uh, Donald Roop, our director of theater, started kind of a little mini movement about um, go see a play and then uh, rescue from Irma or something. Hashtags that, to, you know, go, oh, go yes. out and put that on and support your local shows and push the local shows and, and really get the word out. So Hopefully we'll see some good things come out of that. Here, here. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we have a great show lined up today. I'm very much looking forward to who it. Who are our guests, Mary? Well, prior to coming here today. I kind of felt like that was a game show. Tell us who we have today, Mary. <laughs> Under box number two. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I went to the Cornell Fine Arts Museum collection at the Alphonse Inn today. Mm. In fact, we were going to go to the museum, my friend and myself, and it was closed. So we went, let's go to the Alphonse Inn. And it dawned on me that we have guests here today from the museum. And not only guests, we have the curator, Amy Galpin, and an intern from UCF, Jerry Ann Ramos, to talk to us about the museum, its history, what they have, what it offers, why it's important. And I'm very excited to have a conversation with them. Yay. Well, welcome to both of you. Thank you. Uh, Thanks for having us. We're so happy to have you. And Mary, I'm so glad you got to go because I think we promised Betsy Gwynn with the Bach Festival and Dr. Anna Heller, who's the the director of the Cornell, that we were going to go see that exhibit at yes. Alphonse. So I'm glad you got out yes. there. I still need to. Mm-hmm. So Amy, tell us, what do you do uh, for the Cornell Fine Arts Museum? So as a curator, I'm really responsible for researching the collections, organizing exhibitions, directing the care uh, of the collection from a security point of view, from a cleaning uh, point of view. Uh, I have curated three exhibitions, actually, that are opening this month in Orlando, one at the Cornell Fine Arts Museum, one at the Orlando Science Center, and one at the Manila Museum of American Art. Wow. And in putting those shows together, you know, it's thinking about a concept. It's thinking about what works in our collection express this concept best. Uh, In the case of two shows, bringing in loans uh, from around the country, and in case of one show from abroad um, to best illustrate um, the main ideas of the project. What are the titles or themes of the three different shows that you currently have? Two are tied together through connections between art and science. Um, The exhibition that opens to the public on September 29th at the Cornell Fine Arts Museum is called Time as Landscape, uh, Inquiries of Art and Science. And the exhibition that opens at the Orlando Science Center is Steady Observation, the Intersection of Art, Life, and sci- Scientific Inquiry. So looking both focusing on you know, art created in the last 30 years, uh, focusing on artists who you know, use as a part of their creative process 
scientific inquiry or in, inspired by collaboration with scientists in some cases or use scientific equipment, um, all different types of manifestations. Uh, the exhibition at the Manila is a survey of art of the United States drawn entirely from the collection of the Cornell Fine Arts Museum, um, mm. so early 19th century to the present. Wow. That's amazing. And so the Cornell, does it focus on a certain time period of art or a certain style of art? Or are you open? To, you, you're not uh, biased against any art. What, what do you guys really focus on? I hope we don't have any bias um, <laughs> towards art. Uh, we are, are not focused on one particular time period or culture. Uh, I am consider myself a modern and contemporary specialist, Art of the Americas. So a lot of my projects are modern and contemporary and deal with artists living and working in the Americas, so including Latin America um, and, and the, the U.S. specifically. But, you know, we, we have all different types of exhibitions. We have an Impressionism show coming up. Uh, further down the line, we're going to do a show dealing with sort of antiquity, Roman, Greek um, artifacts. We're working on an exhibition of African art, uh, right now, I think it's going to be probably 19th century a mm. lot, 19th century African work, a lot of textile work um, from Tanzania, perhaps. Uh, so uh, we do skew a little bit um, towards contemporary um, and, and modern exhibitions, but we're open to, to everything. Wow, I love that. As you're talking, I had the question in my head, I wonder what kind of art you have in your home. Mm. What do you collect? That's a great question. I, you know, a lot of the art I have in my home are works I've bought from friends. Um, you know, artists enrich my life. I love, you know, I always say the most difficult and best part of being a curator is working with living artists. <laughs> uh, and, you know, a lot of my personal friends are artists. So over the years, I've bought work from them. Um, my collection is really all contemporary. Um, I do have some arte popular or folk art from Latin America from my my travels to Chile and Mexico and, and other places. But uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I don't have the means to collect. And historically, curators have been discouraged from collecting too much because the idea that it might influence you yeah. um, in a negative way, I, that's kind of breaking down a bit. Uh, we had a curator speak at Rollins. Uh, about a year ago, and, and she was saying, you know, she's old school. You know, she was taught as a curator to not actively collect because it could uh, influence you in terms of your exhibition selections. Interesting. Mm. I, it's very interesting. So tell me about um, some of the future thing with some of the future things that you're about to have the exhibitions in the at Cornell. Well, we're so excited about Time as Landscape. We're debuting several new acquisitions, uh, both purchase and gift, uh, works by Louise Kamnitzer, Julie Meritu, Richard Moss. Uh, we've brought in major loans and are debuting two works that have never been seen before um, by uh, actually three, sorry, uh, Julie Adult, uh, Don Rowe, and Yinka Shonabari. Uh, as a curator, that's what you dream of, you know, having debuting work the first time anyone will ever see this work by Yinka Shonabari will be September 29th at our museum. Wow. Uh, moreover, the opportunity to add to the collection through purchase, we purchased the work by Louise Kamnitzer, but through donation, um, the Barbara and Ted Alfond uh, gave the works recently by Richard Moss and Julie Meritu. 
And I'm told the Julie Maritou, it's a print that we have in our exhibition, is also currently on view at the Whitney Museum of American Art. So wow. we're, we're in really good company. Yes, yes you, you are. are. <laughs> so how much of the art will be in the museum and how much it will be at the Alphand and how much of it will be, is it only in those two spaces or are you taking it out into the community as well? That's a great question. Uh, in terms of timeless landscape, we consider the museum space to be the anchor of the exhibition. It's the first time since I've been at the museum, which is just four years, that we're turning over the entire space for a temporary uh, exhibition. And the brand new installation of a Tomas Saraceno sculpture uh, at the Alfond Inn is considered uh, to be also a part of, of timeless landscape. What is his name again? Tomas Saraceno. He's from uh, Argentina, uh, but he's a longtime resident of Berlin. Mm. So I you like s- how you say his name. So you said it was a complete turnover. What happens to all of the art that is usually in the exhibition? Do you have these incredible storage units, or like, a, is that top secret? Like, you would talk about that. <laughs> I can tell you a little bit. Okay. Josh. <laughs> so we do have a vault uh, on site, and we have another vault at Rollins, and then we do have some off-site storage. A lot of the contemporary work, you know, you having been recently to the Alfond Inn, you know, you know a lot of the work is really large in scale, and mm-hmm. our our vault can't accommodate works of that scale. An interesting fact about museums is that most museums are only showing at any given time 5 to 10% of their permanent collection. Wow. That doesn't surprise me. So when you go to the Metropolitan Museum of Art, you know, that vast property, you're only seeing such a small percentage. Uh, but, you know, I, I hope it will be received by the public. I, I'll be honest, I'm a little nervous that we've taken down our old master mm, pictures mm-hmm. for the fall. But if you come and see the show, you'll see that, you know, there's a lot of large scale um, immersive installations that we wanted to give room for. Mm. Mm, Speaking of room, we need a little room for some advertisements to come your way, listeners. But we will be right back as we talk more to Amy Galpin and Jerry Ann Ramos will be coming to you uh, from the Cornell Fine Arts Museum. Welcome back to From the Heart. I'm Mary Thompson Hunt here with my brilliant co-host, Joshua Vickery. And we're very excited that today we are speaking with Amy Galpin, curator of Cornell Fine Arts Museum, and Jerry Ann Ramos, who we're going to hear a little bit from this segment, her intern. We're learning about the Cornell Museum, what it takes to be a curator, what the museum holds, and why it's important. Welcome back, ladies. Thank you. We didn't (laughs) have a chance to chat with you very much at all, really, yet, Jerry Ann. (laughs) Jerrianne, I want to ask you how it is you came to be uh, an intern here and what that means to you. Um, well, I actually became an intern in June of this year. Um, I was just like hunting around for internships since I had just changed my major to art history from journalism. Um, and my professor, Dr. Cologne, uh, mentioned that I should apply to the Cornell uh, Fine Arts Museum, just send a letter to Amy. Um, and then I did a little interview with her and um, it all worked out and I love it so much here. It's definitely been such a rewarding experience. What made you change your major? Um, 
I don't know. I had taken a couple of art history classes like for the minor. Um, and then I just realized that that was like my passion. That was really what I wanted to follow through with. Mm-hmm. Mm. Was it the same for you? I'm curious to ask Amy, did you have a calling for being a curator at a museum or was it something that um, you fell into later down the line? I definitely fell into it later down the line. I, I'm not as organized and as focused <laughs> as Jerry Ann and For me as a young person, I really wasn't at all sure what I should do with my life. And I was graduating from college, and a professor said to me, what are you going to do when you graduate? I said, I I really didn't know. And she said, I think you should go to graduate school because you're a really good student and you love school. And the worst thing that's going to happen to you is in two years, uh, you're going to have a master's degree. And then maybe you'll know what you want to do. And I took her advice. And I got a master's degree in Latin American studies, and my fir- the first class, my first class I took was called Frida Kahlo in her circle. It's a little bit of a cheesy story. <laughs> I apologize. And I just fell in love with the Mexican modern art and was staying up all night reading the books. And I thought maybe this is what I should should do with my life and started interning at museums. And um, I also taught and thought about being a professor, but I really like the idea of working with the broadest audience possible, uh, working with objects, collaborating with colleagues. Um, and, and I know some of that happens uh, for professors, but um, it, it just seemed that museum work was more of a fit for me. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, yeah, and so when you, is really Latin art what you fell in love with in the, in the beginning? And that, was that what part of your journey? Definitely. I mean, my parents always took me to museums. I like to say that my family doesn't camp. You know, we, we didn't like go on a camping trip, but we traveled a lot and we would go to cities and always went to museums. The first artist I remember really connecting with was Georgia O'Keeffe. Um, and I remember being in middle school and my mother taking me to an exhibition at the Metropolitan Museum Art of her work. And it was just this enormous exhibition. Mm. But I have always been interested in Latin American culture, I guess always, you know, since my teenage years, Mm -hmm. and was really interested in literature. And through that, then started to become more familiar with some of the artist names. And that was definitely, in the beginning, was really my focus, was Mm. Latin American art. And then over time, I become interested in art of the U.S. and um, contemporary art, sort of more broadly internationally. So with your art of the Americas love, it really started more with Latin America, which is interesting. Yes, I yeah. Love that. Oh, 100%. I had the privilege of spending almost two weeks in Mexico City. And so what's mm-hmm. going on now in Mexico is just heart-wrenching because yeah. I remember mm-hmm. these spaces. But uh, art is very important uh, to Mexico and architecture is very important. They have such beautiful spaces and beautiful places. And it goes back so far it in really their history. It really does. Absolutely. Yeah. So as a curator, you know, are you able to, when you look at an exhibition and you're putting it together, are you, you're trying to say, okay, I want some pieces that are donated. I want some pieces that we're going to purchase. I want some pieces that are on loan because exhibitions don't always come together as one complete package, right? I mean, some do, they come to as like a Here's a turn will, you know, mm-hmm. exhibition. Most of the time you're putting these together. What is the balance of that for you? And how do you how do you how do you find the the right mix of all those things? Yeah. As a curator, I'm really passionate about original projects mm-hmm. and uh, we've done a lot of them since I've been at the Cornell Fine Arts Museum, uh, from women in abstraction to displacement symbols and journeys, solo projects with Jess Dugan and Marianela Delos. But we can't always do uh, original projects every time. So sometimes you have to bring in a package show. We're mm. bringing in an Impressionism exhibition, which is going to be huge. The other venue is the Seattle Art Museum. Wow. Um, so that opens in January. 
it is nice to have a balance. I think you don't want to have loans in an original project that are just from one gallery or all from galleries. Uh, we just did a solo show with Patrick Martinez, a contemporary artist from Los Angeles, and I was really happy that I could have loans from private collectors mm. and from his gallery. You know, I think it's just nice to kind of mix it up and, and not just have it from one particular um, space. And it's also, a, exhibitions are a great way to contextualize our permanent collection, mm -hmm. the things that always live in Winter Park at the Cornell Fine Arts Museum, but to see them with loans from galleries, collectors, artists. How do you begin a research when you say, I want to do a show like uh, such and such? How do you research artists? What what do, does that look like? That's a great question. Lots of different ways um, from going to art fairs, from traveling to other museums. Most of my exhibitions are products of years of thinking about a topic. Now, that doesn't mean that I like work on the show every day or every week, but it's, it's a thought that's been percolating for a really long time. I, I was sharing with a lot of people my exhibition last summer, uh, Displacement, Symbols, and Journeys. Some of the artists in that show I'd known for eight or nine years, and it was the first time I was working with them in an official capacity. So, you know, I, I like to think and ruminate and analyze again and again and again. I read art magazines. I read books, you know, just read blogs. I mean, the Internet, it's, it's an amazing thing to see how, you know, an artist's Instagram, which may some artists' Instagrams, maybe they're not that rev revelatory, but others, you know, they're showing you inside the studio, their process, their inspiration. It's pretty fascinating how research is, is evolving. Yeah, mm. and the access you have now to different points of view of the same artist mm -hmm. between Instagram or Twitter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and getting uh, different viewpoints, you know, it, it, performing arts and visual arts have lots of similarities, mm -hmm. but they also have lots of differences. Mm -hmm. They're all great outlets of expression and creativity, but one of the differences in an exhibition world of visual arts and, say, a performing arts like a dance or musical theater or something, it, it, musical theater and, and dance and, and, and music you know, or philharmonic, you know, say, for say, in our community, it comes and goes within a couple of days. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, maybe a three-week run or a two-week run or, in our case, sometimes just two nights. And so what you can learn about that piece comes and goes so very quickly, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When you have an exhibition that's lasting almost three months that you're living and breathing in this exhibition, what validity or what valid, you know, how, what, how does it help you to be able to live in that space for so long and learn about the piece, even from the feedback of people? Like if when we get patron surveys in one day, we only have one day to take in their feedback, change things, look at things in a different perspective, and then present it the next night because most of our shows are two nights. So over a three-month period, how is your viewpoints on this art and how you're presenting it to the to people who are coming in, how does it change and how is that different from performing arts, do you think? Well, one of the things I love about my job is kind of walking through the galleries and hearing what people are saying about the art and learning from people what, what do they respond to, whether that's formally, the color, the brushwork, whether it's a content um, connection, a connection with their own history or personal memory. And I think you learn so much from, you know, living with a show mm. for three months and your feelings change. And, you know, some, some I'm more sad to see go than others, but I, I think it's really it's special. Just if I could, just a really quick story is we had this exhibition of Patrick Martinez's work and a work in neon. It said, then they came for me, which is of course a reference to Martin Niemöller's um, statement during World War II, you know, 
Um, and a student came and she was in an HIV AIDS class at Rollins. And she said, it makes me think about how people were treated in the 1980s, you know, when the AIDS epidemic became more, um, well known that everyone thought it was someone else's issue, that it was for certain communities and not something that everyone was affected by. That was a connection I never thought of at all, ever working with the artist for months and months leading up to that show. Um, You know, one of the things, though, I would say a a connection maybe with the performance art. I mean, of course, we also have performing performing arts at our Mm -hmm. museum. We've worked with Wanda Ramundi Ortiz and Laura Anderson Barbata on performances. But with the museum exhibition, sometimes there's not that urgency to go see it. Mm. You know, where I wonder if that's different (laughs) when there's only two performances or only two weekends. Um, You know, I have people tell me all the time, I've been meaning to come. I'm going to come. I just missed that show. Right. So that's that can be a that's challenge. That's an interesting perspective. When you see such a long date range like that, you think, oh, I'll get to that. I don't need to put it on my calendar and make a date for myself to get there. Like we've been talking about going and seeing the exhibit at the Alphon. Yes. We find You finally got to it today. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting mm-hmm. perspective. I wonder if that is sometimes true of that pretend that it's only there for two weeks yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> they'll never know <laughs> do you guys ever give any kind of incentives for people to come in the first couple of weeks you know like not like a sports game but you know like mm. the first 500 fans get a you know sippy cup or whatever <laughs> like i don't know <laughs> but do you ever do think about maybe being some incentives to get people in the space earlier i think you know from my opinion i think museums in general really rely heavily on that opening celebration mm. to drive traffic at the beginning get people talking about it so they'll come back and come back do you back. have anything opening soon um, well, we have our show opening on Thursday Which night. Um, we have the VIP reception on the 29th. I'm oh, sorry, 28th. And then it opens to the public on the 29th. And then I'm giving a tour um, on the 29th at 11 um, of the exhibition, Time is Landscape. And then we have a lecture October 3rd with one of the artists at 6 p.m. So that's another strategy is having a lot of programming at the beginning to try to drive that interest um, and get people talking. Well, even just those dates you gave us, this will air Sunday night, so people will have time to go to those dates. Will you yeah. say them one more time? Yes, absolutely. Listen up, listeners. <laughs> so Time is Landscape, uh, Inquiries of Art and Science, opens at the Cornell Fine Arts Museum on the campus of Rollins College on September 29th. To the, that's the public opening. I'm giving a tour September 29th of the exhibition at 11 a.m., and then you can come back and see us October 3rd uh, at 6 p.m. to hear from one of the artists in the exhibition, Noah Doley. Wow. And Time is Landscape. Uh, This looks like an incredible exhibition. And to take the words right from your your own lips, the source of inspiration for this exhibition is the work of artists who desire to understand, question, and describe the subject of time as scientific scientific fact, as relative experience, and as aesthetic archive. Mm -hmm. Uh, In science, you know, that topic is so big. For our listeners, what are the types of things they're going to see and experience? Is it nature? Is it, you know, kind of scientific experiments? You know, what are the types of things that they're going to view in this gallery? It's a great question. And I I definitely think it's, you know, a very open idea of um, what science can be. There's a lot of poetic interpretations of science. One of the works in the show by Richard Moss, um, it's from his series Heat Maps, and he uses a thermograde camera 
um, that senses uh, heat. So, and that's how it captures images of his subjects. And his photograph in the exhibition was taken in Greece at a refugee camp. Mm. Um, and so thinking about the artists using technology mm. um, to create like a mapping, right? And, and also the ephemeral nature of the photograph. Weeks after he took that photograph, this refugee camp near the border of Macedonia was um, you know, removed. Mm. Um, and the people were, were displaced yet again. Um, there are works in the show that evoke bacteria. Uh, there's a, an artist in the show um, who's coming in town next week to make the work. Uh, her name is Julia Dalt, and she wrestles the material. And the time it takes her to make the work is the title of the piece. So literally using physics, right? Oh, wow. And wow. sort of engaging in the sort of physical experience of, of the work. So you have some works that haven't even been created for this exhibition. Just that one. Oh, just, just that just one. A, <laughs> and we'll know when it's time. Yeah, that's so very cool, um, though. Yeah. Speaking and then of you, time, though, we're about out of time on this segment. Okay. Yeah, so we are going to be coming right back, and we'll continue then on From the Heart. Welcome back, listeners, to Magic 107.7 FM from the heart. I'm Joshua Vickery with my wonderfully talented and beautiful Mary Thompson Hunt. We're so excited to be back in the studio and talking the arts. And today we're with Dr. Amy Galpin, the curator for the Cornell Fine Arts Museum, and Jerry Ann Ramos. Ramos or Ramos? Ramos. Ramos, <laughs> who is an intern there. And I was just going to, to give a shout out because we absolutely adore Dr. Inner Heller who is the, your leader there at the Cornell. Uh, but what are some other staff members, team members that you want to give a shout out to that help make it all work at the Cornell? I feel that I should give a shout out uh, <laughs> to Austin Reeves and Adam Levine because we are together, I think, on our 10th straight day of working oh on the goodness. installation. Wow. Um, they've been working tirelessly to realize uh, Timeless Landscape and also a new installation at the Alfunded. Wow. Wonderful. So that, is that, and that's part of your team? Yes. Uh, Adam is the lead preparator. Okay. Uh, and uh, Austin is our collections manager and registrar. So give us one word that uh, describes each of them, Adam and Austin, that mm -hmm. makes them wonderful. Uh, Adam is patient. <laughs> that's a good virtue. <laughs> and Austin is responsible. Nice. Yes. Love it. So tell us a little bit more about, because we love the exhibitions that are coming up in September and then the new one that's coming up in January as well. But, um, a really accessible way to get, you know, to get a hold of art and see art is at the Alfondin. And I know that we mentioned it, but can you tell us a little bit more about that collection and what we would experience on an ongoing basis at the Alfondin? Definitely. So we show a portion of our permanent collection at the Alphand Inn, which is an incredibly special hotel. Mm -hmm. It's owned by Rollins College. A majority of the proceeds go to scholarships at Rollins College. And, you know, not only is it unique for its philanthropic aim, but also because it presents a museum collection. 
We offer tours of this collection uh, every Sunday at 1 and the first Wednesday of the month at 5.30, a little happy hour tour. I was say, I think there's alcohol involved somehow in one of these. <laughs> <laughs> and all of the work was given by Barbara and Ted Alphonse, who are 1968 graduates of Rollins College. Mm-hmm. It's really focused on contemporary art. Um, the earliest work is like 1957, but most of it um, is, is later, more recent work. And How uh, often does it change there? Thank you. Great question. So we think of it as an annual rotation. So we just finished the annual rotation at the end of July. Mm -hmm. So if some of you are listening and you've been before, go Go back because you'll see a lot of new things. Uh, Another question for you. I went today with a friend of mine and we were looking at pieces. We had conversations. When someone looks at a piece, what are questions they should ask themselves? And for someone who's not an artist or uh, might be listening to this show and they look at something, they don't know how to evaluate if it's good or not. Tell us what process you would suggest for them. That's a great question. You know, I think there's no one way in, um, you know, in, in art history, in art historical analysis, sometimes we talk about like a formal analysis. So I think if someone goes to a museum and they're like, I'm not sure what I should be looking at, you know, just start by thinking like, what are the colors like? You know, what is the organization of the objects within the composition? How is light used or not used? I think you can also, you know, depending on the work, you know, think about um, storytelling. You know, is there a narrative? What might the narrative be? You know, we also... Emotionally, maybe? How it makes you feel? Definitely. I mean, you know, we try to provide at the Alfund Inn, we have a lot of extended labels. They're about 120 to 150 words. We also have an audio guide that you can check out from the concierge mm-hmm. at the hotel. Uh, it has, I think, currently 27 stops. It's all free. You just wow. give them your driver's I no license. <gasps> I had no idea. So you have to go back and do it again. Okay, I will. <laughs> I'll go with you this okay. time. That's amazing. Yes, yes. And the, the hotel is beautiful. It's a great way yes. to even see the hotel because it's all over. So with one of the oldest and most distinguished collections in Florida... And you have over 5,500 objects and pieces of art that people wow. can can experience. It's also free, which yes. is pretty unique, right? Yes. I should, you should, we should, should talk about that, that most museums just aren't free to everyone all the time. Well, how are you funded? How, how does that happen? We do have, um, well, we seek uh, funding for that. So um, currently this year, 2017, we're ending a substantial donation Uh, by a graduate of Rollins College, Dale Montgomery, um, Mm. who gave funds um, to cover free admission at the museum. And we've been doing that for a few years now. He was a graduate of the college? He was a graduate of the college. I should have gone there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, Mary, just because you go to Rollins doesn't mean you can give that kind of donation. (laughs) But I mean, maybe. All right. (laughs) But is that really only donor-based? Are there, are there grants out there that can help with that Absolutely. kind of thing? Or? Absolutely. And a lot of corporations are interested in that and, mm-hmm. you know, keep keep in tune with what we're doing at the Cornell Fine Arts Museum and there'll be an announcement about who will be covering free admission in the future. Uh, but, you know, Target um, across the country, the Target Corporation has funded a lot of free admission right. at museums. Wow. Um, I I have to say I'm incredibly honored to work at a museum that has free admission. I've been Mm -hmm. working in museums for 15 years. I think it is so vital. If you have a family of four and you're charging $12 to $15 or in major cities, $30. And that's before gas, parking, food, whatever. Yeah, It's Mm -hmm. really limiting our audience. So speaking of audience, we we might have some people out there listening who maybe that's not something they'd consider for an, an outing for their family. Why should they consider it and what would they get out of it? 
Well, I, what I always love about museums is I think you can make it what you want it to be. If you come to our museum, you know, we have a scavenger hunt for kids. We have drawing activities for kids of all ages. So any um, day when the family goes yes. in, they can say, how do we do the scavenger? Absolutely. Oh, I love that. Um, Who would we, they go to when they enter to Right ask? at the front desk. Okay. Um, a lot of times it's my colleague Hind, um, but other, other colleagues, Dina, um, we have a new colleague, Taylor, um, they can greet uh, whoever comes in and, and offer a scavenger hunt, show them the drawing activities. Um, you know, you can also go to museums, you know, someone like myself and Jerry Ann who are really interested in, in art history, you know, we can go to museums and have a contemplative, you know, moment or read the labels, you know, but, but that's what I like about museums. There's choice. You know, mm. you can sit on a bench and have a conversation with a friend in the museum environment. I did that today. Oh, I love and that. And as we did that today, we started looking at a draw, uh, a painting and we sat and we chatted. And then we noticed a man on his laptop just doing work and other people going by. And it was really something for everyone who just wanted to be in that environment. It was almost like being in a chapel. There was mm. something a little bit sacred about mm-hmm. it because people's lives were pouring into these pieces of work. Yes. So just being around that was beautiful. Yes. Well, and we're super excited because we uh, were able to get a grant through the Winter Park Health Foundation for performing arts opportunities for healthy aging adults. And next year, we're going to be in the, I don't know if you know this or not. No, (laughs) tell me. We're going to be doing uh, storytelling classes in the exhibition hall. And so we're doing that in a variety of places, 13 different arts organizations, visual arts organizations, museums where we're taking dance and singing and storytelling and improv into these spaces and then um, really marrying those with what's happening in the in the exhibition at the time. So the storytelling class is actually going to be happening next year uh, at, at Cornell, and we're going to marry that with whatever exhibition is happening. So I think that's beautiful that those halls of the exhibition can be used, like you said, as a conversation or as a learning moment or even mm-hmm. as something like storytelling or improv or and marrying those things together. When I went to Chicago once on a business trip with uh, Disney, I was performing there for something. Uh, there was a day that we had free and my show director took me to a museum exhibit that they had there at the Chicago Museum. No pressure. He says to me, you can tell a lot about a person when you go to a museum with them. (laughs) Oh, great. There you (laughs) go. (laughs) Well, sure enough, he was right. The conversation that you have, what you notice, everything you see shows you a little bit about who you are and what you value Mm -hmm. and the person you're with and what you didn't see and what you're willing to see. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I, I never forgot that. In fact, today when I went with someone new, I remembered Steve saying that, and I think I love her even more. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) So how can we learn more information about the Cornell? What's your website? Our website is rollins.edu slash cfam, C-F-A-M. Perfect. And the museum hours are Tuesdays, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m., Wednesday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., and Saturday and Sunday, noon to 5 p.m. That's right, and I just want to emphasize that Tuesday, open till 7, so yeah. you can come on the way uh, home from After work. work, yeah, yeah, and then you have a couple of special events, too, like Throwback Thursdays or maybe private tours, Twilight Tuesdays, the extended hours, so some really, you're really trying to make it accessible to anyone and everyone. Absolutely. What's a throwback day? Throwback Thursday, the third Thursday of every month at 12.30, Uh, We do uh, about a 45-minute tour, and that tour specifically focuses on historic art uh, in the collection. Mm. And sometimes it's led by a staff member, and sometimes it's led by a a docent. Mm. Why are the uh, visual arts and paintings and 
and sketches and drawings and, and all of the, why is that important to, to our culture today? Is it still, I mean, is it still relevant? Of course it is. But why, if someone were to say they weren't really, uh, let's just say some of our listeners out there aren't really into the visual arts. They've never been to an art museum. Um, they'd much rather be at an Orlando City soccer game. <laughs> right. what, is, what is the reason why it's important to our culture and why should every single person experience the visual arts? Well, I think, first of all, if you feel, you know, hesitant or you're not sure, just give it a try. Mm. You know, it's it's like trying the restaurant in your neighborhood that you, you won't go to because you're not sure how it's like. Or, you know, for someone who's not a soccer fan, who isn't sure if they're ready to go, you know, cheer for um, Orlando City. You know, it, it is it's a free activity. It's something in our community. Just give it a try. Yes, because a restaurant or soccer is not it's free, not free. Yes. but your museum is free. <laughs> and you don't have to like it. I mean, I, I was just telling, you've mentioned Anna Heller, our, our director, uh, a few times, and I was just telling her a story the other day. This is like a year ago. I was so tickled. I was walking through the galleries at our museum, and these two women were talking about how they absolutely hated this painting mm. we had on view, and it was a still life, a floral still life. You know, something that a lot of people just love, you know, ubiquitous <laughs> imagery. So that's the other thing. You know, give us a try. You don't have to like you don't have to like the art. You should come back another time and see different art because we're constantly changing. Um, but on a more serious note, I think that art is a reflection of our culture, our society and ourselves, our history. Um, and I think that we can really engage in so many levels. Just earlier, I was talking about that piece by Richard Moss, mm. you know, and thinking about the refugee crisis, um, people fleeing Syria because of their, their safety. And, you know, art, art can, um, and not every work is political or social commentary, but it is a reflection of who we are. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a big interest of Barbara and Ted Alfond in starting a contemporary collection at a liberal arts college. There are a lot of young people who go to the Alfond Inn and they see reflections of themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's really important. I, we, well, we say that all the time with plays and music as well. Mm -hmm. we well, and we art are. allows, any form of art expression allows you to open doors of conversation and facilitates even why or why you don't like that of like flowers, mm -hmm. right? Like mm -hmm. you, nobody's going to be offended. There's no one standing there. So it allows you to be able to observe and then to be able to discuss with a friend or even internally about what you're experiencing. Mm -hmm. through Why that is art. it I'm having this feeling of yeah. love or dislike? And then you learn something. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us one more wonderful thing about the Cornell before we go. I think we're really dedicated to presenting original projects in this mm -hmm. community. And I think we're really interested in making the conversation um, as inclusive as, as possible. Mm, awesome. So go and check out the new exhibit that's happening at the Alfond and at the Cornell Fine Arts Museum, Time as Landscape, where we're marrying art and science together. But also go and check out the website for all the very cool talks and tours and the hours on the, on the museum. And like Dr. Amy Galpin said, go try something new. It's Give it a free. try. It's free. You can't really say that very often. Here, here. <laughs> so thank you so much for being on thank here today. You. Thank you for the great work that you do. Absolutely. Mary, what a pleasure. I love this show. I love this show too. And it's so great to be able to talk about the things that are happening and, and for us to be reminded mm -hmm. of all the beautiful art that's being created mm -hmm. in our community. I'm going. I can't wait. Yeah. Until next time. Thank you so much listeners for joining us on Magic 107.7 FM from the heart. Thank you.